stories. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I love the story of that business person who goes to start a business and like a week before the launch of the business, the supplier says, hey, we actually ran out of everything. We can't make the stuff that you planned on launching. And then somebody runs off with their money. And so all of these things happen. But then we end up hearing later in the story that somehow they survive, their business thrives, and everything gets better. It's the same kind of story that we hear in sport when you you hear about the guy that's too short, he's not fast enough, nobody recruits him out of college to play basketball somewhere, and yet he ends up making it somehow. He's that, that spectacular story. I love those underdog stories. Insurmountable odds. Everybody says, stop, this person goes ahead anyway, and then they make it somehow. I love those stories, but the question I always have is, where does... Where does like foolishness start? Where are the stories of the people that pushed through all of the odds and didn't make it? How are we supposed to know in the underdog story, yeah, everybody says I'm too short, no coach wants me, but I'm going to push through anyway, and somehow I'm going to make it. There's that, 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 the tension in that underdog story is, what's wisdom? And just being like stubborn and pushing through to success, but what's foolishness? It's somebody that's just ignoring all the roadblocks and running down that road. The reason I, I wonder that is because that's the same kind of decisions that I have to make and that you have to make. We look at a situation and go, where, where am I supposed to go from here? Am I supposed to be stubborn and say, no, this is the road I'm supposed to stay on. Let's keep going in it. Or is this actually just foolishness? And I have been unwilling to listen. I've been unwilling to take advice. I've been unwilling to go in the way of wisdom. We're reaching right now, the, this is the last passage in that first section of Proverbs. Remember, Proverbs 1 through 9 is one long kind of series of speeches from a father to his son saying, son, I want you to go in the way of wisdom and I want you to reject folly. And after all of these lessons about work and about sex and about family and about wisdom and folly, we get to this point. It's how do we know if I'm being stubborn and foolish or if I'm actually walking in the way of wisdom? And that's where we get in Proverbs 8. Go ahead and turn there with me today. Proverbs 8 and 9. Dealing with this. How do I know this is wisdom? How do I know it's not folly? What I want to show you today is that here in Proverbs chapters 8 and 9, wisdom's question is what does regard for the Lord look like right now? When we face that kind of situation where we're going, am I supposed to be stubborn and walk in this way or is it foolishness if I do that? The question that wisdom invites us to ask is to say, what does regard for the Lord look like right now in this situation? What I want to show you here is three elements to knowing if something is wise. Chapter 8 verse tells us we actually have to set our hearts on wisdom. If we want to know if a situation is wise, we have to make sure that our hearts are focused on wisdom and not other things. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gate leading into the city. At the entrance, she cries aloud, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. 
My mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies. And nothing you desire can compare with her. Let's pray. Father, we, I just pray that as we open your word, we would hear from you. and That we would hear very clearly what it means for us to be wise. I pray that you would help us to set our hearts on and begin to live lives that pursue wisdom and not folly. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs 8 is this, this invitation. Set your hearts on wisdom. The reason that he starts with this is because if our hearts aren't set on wisdom, then it really doesn't matter which way is wise and which way is foolish. We're going to go in the direction that our hearts are inclined. And so here in chapter 8, he says that wisdom is calling out to you. And then beginning in verses 12 through 19, it begins to say, wisdom is the thing that leads to effectiveness in life. Set your heart there. It begins to walk through a list of things like Buy me king's reign, and rulers issue decrees that are just. Buy me princes govern and nobles, all who rule on earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. Right here in this 12 through 19 section, he's saying, set your heart on it because that's the thing that leads to effectiveness in life. All of these things that we could like set our hearts on, like wisdom, like justice, leadership, reputation, inheritance, legacies, all of these things that our hearts are inclined to, Proverbs says you have to set your heart on wisdom because wisdom is where all of those things are found. Don't set your heart there. Set your heart on wisdom. Then in verses 22 to 31, he he says that he begins to talk about wisdom as the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries, so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. And so here... Solomon says, not only should you set your heart on wisdom because that's where effectiveness is found, but this is actually, wisdom has been with God since before creation. And so when you set your heart on wisdom, you're actually setting your heart on the way that God does things. And in the end of chapter 8, he says, my son, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. 
So not only is it lead to effectiveness, not only is it first in creation, but it's also where life is found. And so right here at the very beginning, when we wonder, how am I going to know if this road is wise or foolish? We actually have to set our hearts on actually finding life, not actually getting the things in the world that we're so inclined to get. And so if our inclination is towards justice, wisdom is actually where it's at. We have to set our hearts not on justice, but on wisdom. If, if our hearts are set on riches, we're going to be following in a way of folly, but are we going to instead set our hearts on wisdom? So what Solomon tells us is all of the things that you value come from wisdom. If you want to know if a decision is wise or foolish, start with, is my heart inclined towards wisdom? Am I valuing wisdom correctly? When I was a kid, my grandma would give, she, she loved to collect things, and so her house was filled with collections. She had the coolest and biggest collection of marbles I've ever seen. She would give me, my brother and I, pocket knives, and so we had a collection of pocket knives. She also gave us baseball cards. Baseball cards weren't expensive. Sometimes we would get sets, sometimes we would get packs. We would occasionally get the magazines, I don't know if you guys remember, Beckett magazines would tell you what the value of all your cards are. And all of our cards were worth like 10 or 15 cents. They, they weren't a big deal. I loved them because they were the players that I watched, players like Nolan Ryan, like Frank Thomas, like George Brett. The most expensive cards my brother and I had were about two bucks. And he had all of them. I'm not sure how that worked. He had all the $2 cards. I had all the 10 cent cards. They end up staying in a box. They moved with my family as we moved a few times growing up. And eventually I stopped paying attention to that box of cards. And as I got ready to go off to college, I was like, what am I going to do? I can't take this to my dorm room. I haven't looked at these in years. I don't know what to do with these. But I had a friend who I knew collected baseball cards and still paid attention to those. He was four or five years younger than I was. And so I said, would you like my old baseball cards? I haven't looked at them in years. As far as I know, they're worth two or three dollars. I gave them to him. He came to me about a week later and he said, did you realize you had a George Brett rookie card? that set. And I was like, no, I didn't. He said, that's worth about $75. And I, I thought of that story this week. And I was like, I wonder how much my George Brett card is worth. I looked it up, and anywhere from $3,000 to $28,000 is how much that card is now worth. But I told him at the time, I said, I wasn't going to be moving with this box of cards. They were going to mold in my parents' attic if I didn't do anything with them. They weren't valuable for me. They weren't worth $75 sitting in a box in a basement. And so they're worth something for you to have these cards. I consoled myself with them at the time because it was just a loss of $25. Now I'm like, wow, $28,000 go a long way. I tell you that story because those cards were worthless to me. I wasn't thinking, hey, this is where things are going to go one day. Maybe I should keep moving these. I had been keeping them for years thinking, well, maybe Grandma said someday they'll be worth something, but they're not. So I gave them to somebody who valued them. This passage says wisdom is worth nothing if you haven't set your heart on it. If you haven't set your heart on it, then it doesn't matter which way is the wise way. You're not going to go in that way. So the call to us is actually, don't disconnect wisdom from our world. Don't disconnect wisdom from our hearts. We have to value it correctly and say, God, wisdom is actually more important than my reputation. Then It's more important than riches. It's more important than justice. Wisdom is where my life is going to be found. And I have to set my heart there on that kind of wisdom. The second element to knowing if something is wise, you see in chapter 9, it is we must identify the marks of wisdom's call. When we're faced with a decision, we have to go, well, what does wisdom sound like? Chapter 9 says, wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table 
She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point in the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will be Chapter Right here at the beginning of chapter 9, we must identify the marks of wisdom's call if we want to walk in the wise way. It starts with this image that wisdom is like a woman who sets a table in her house and invites all to come and eat at it. But what does she sound like when she's calling to the simple, saying, come and eat my food? What does she sound like? First, it sounds like correction. The call of wisdom is actually a call that should be uncomfortable. The call of wisdom is this, this call of correction and rebuke. And so if we want to have ears tuned to wisdom, then we have to begin to expect where I'm at right now and the inclination of my heart is not wise. It's going to mean that I get corrected and then I get uncomfortable. And so I have to begin to learn to listen to correction so that I can walk in the wise way. I heard a pastor, a pastor all many of you would know. After pastoring his church for 50 years, somebody said something about what have you learned in the last 50 years. And he said, well, I learned that I was right 50 years ago. I haven't had to change anything about my theology. I got it all right. That is not the call of wisdom. The call of wisdom should be this expectation that I'm going to have to be corrected. And so when I have a decision to make, it should feel like correction and review. Maybe the inclination of my heart is not the direction that I should go. The thing that I most want might actually not be wisdom. To be wise means that I actually listen to it. It means that I actually love that kind of the second mark there of what does wisdom sound like is verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's what we found back in Proverbs chapter 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear could be this kind of terror and there's an element of terror, but the, the, the idea is, what does it mean to regard the Lord? What does it mean for me to, the way that I think about the Lord to change how I actually live? We say that somebody has no regard for their business when they defraud the business and run off with their money. We say that somebody has no regard for their family when they run off leaving their family to go off with a lover, to go off and spend their lives the way that they want. There's no regard for them. The idea here at the beginning of wisdom is it sounds like correction, and it starts with regard to the Lord, fear of the Lord. And so wisdom's question for each one of us is to say, what does regard to the Lord look like right now? Not what's the right decision that's going to get me success, but actually what does it mean for me to fear the Lord in this instance? As I buy a house, as I raise children, as I decide about a career, as I try to figure out what's the right way to go, the wisdom's question is not what's the best house to buy, what's the best career to have, what's the best way to raise kids. It's actually what does it mean to raise kids with regard to the Lord, with my heart inclined towards Him? What does it mean for me to buy a house with regard to the Lord? What does that look like? What does it mean for me to choose a career with fear of the Lord foremost in my mind? That's the beginning of wisdom. 
when I was a kid, the first doctor's appointment I ever remember going to had lots of eventful things happen in it. But in particular, they had me take a hearing test. It's the first time I remember taking a hearing test. And she said, okay, raise your hand when you hear the noise. Raise your hand when you hear the noise. In that whichever ear you hear. And I sat there. And I sat there. And finally, she said, take your headphones off. She said, can you hear anything? And I was like, I hear this ringing in my ears. Just this kind of low-grade. And she said, that's the noise you're listening for. And I was like, oh, okay. And so then she did it again. And I realized, oh, actually, I'm hearing that. Sometimes I just hear a low-grade buzz. It just doesn't really affect me. And what I realized is once I knew what I was listening for, I thought I was listening for a bell or a, a moo or something. But once I knew what I was listening for, then I could raise my hand. When we know what we're listening for when it comes to wisdom, then we can go, that's the direction I need to go. And the the sound that we're supposed to listen to, when wisdom calls to us, we've got to listen for correction and regard for the Lord. What does that look like? Daily decisions. How do I spend my money? How do I write a budget this month? Writing a budget doesn't just look like numbers that add up. It actually starts with a person that says, Father, give me this day my daily bread. That's what fear of the Lord looks like in writing a budget. What does it look like to raise kids? It's not just, how do I get my kids to behave and act the way that I want to? How do I, with regard for the Lord, shepherd them towards the Lord, knowing that the Lord is shepherding me? That's what... Wisdom's call to a parent looks like as we walk in a world where we've got to make decisions about end of life, beginning of life, decisions that nobody's ever had to make before because they couldn't make babies in laboratories. We have to say, what does it mean for me to have regard for the Lord in all of these things? We've got hard decisions to make, but wisdom's call always starts with the fear of the Lord. And the third element to knowing if something is wise We have to beware of folly's counterfeit fall. Chapter 9, verse 13 says, Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm dead. What's so wild is that wisdom is like a woman calling out saying, come and eat here. Folly is like a woman calling out saying, come and eat here. There is this counterfeit call that we are going to be constantly bombarded with that says, hey, this is the sweet way. This is the pleasant way. This is is the way that's going to be good. Folly's counterfeit call sounds the same, but instead of it being marks of correction, and rebuke and fear of the Lord. Instead, Folly's call says, this is going to feel good. This is going to taste good. This is going to be the easy and pleasant way. Come and eat here. Come and do this. But Solomon and God tell us, no, that's the way of the dead. Guests are deep in the realm of the dead. And so the counterfeit way is going to lead us towards death. It looks the same on the outside, often using the same words, Except the focus is on sweetness, pleasantness, towards pleasure. Saying, hey, this is going to feel good. This is the lesson that I have to teach my kids often. 
Because that's the lesson that I have to teach my kids. And every time it's a reminder to myself that it's the thing that I most want to do that's often the call of folly. Because it feels right. I, it just seems like I should yell at somebody in this moment. It just seems like I should take out my anger in this moment. It seems like I need to press everybody to fit into the mold that I want them to fit into. That's folly. It feels good. It sounds good. It seems like it's the way of pleasantness, but it's actually a way that just leads to death. So the call to us is beware. It sounds sweet. But if there's no correction and nobody inviting us to regard to have regard for the Lord, then it's probably not wisdom's call. A sweet call with no correction, a sweet call that's not saying fear of the Lord, means that we're actually probably walking into folly's trap, which is way of death. So this passage says, how do we know if a decision is wise? The call is, will you, is to ask, what does regard for the Lord look like right now in this decision? In this place and in this way. We're supposed to value wisdom correctly. We're supposed to know what the sounds of wisdom and folly's call sound like. But quite honestly, often I've chosen the way of folly that's led me only towards death, only led me towards shame, only led me towards guilt. If you're like me, it feels like we've only ever eaten at folly's table. And somebody saying, hey, come on, just do the wise thing. Just feels powerless to Paul said, Paul says in the New Testament that I know the good that I ought to do. I know the good that I ought to do, and yet I don't do it. So where is the hope for us? Where is the hope for those of us that don't live with regard for the Lord, whose hearts are not set on wisdom? Answering Folly's call, eating at Folly's table, and living in chambers of death. Book of Luke, we've gone back to many times here in this series from Proverbs. Book of Luke says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus was the, the epitome of this passage, living with regard and fear for the Lord constantly. He always feared the Lord, and yet he went and ate, I'm sorry, and he went and bore the destruction from folly's table that you and I deserve to bear. So instead of us going down to the chamber of death on our own, Jesus went down into folly's chamber of death for us. So we don't bear that judgment. And instead, we're given the spirit of him who is wise, and who is wisdom, so that he can work out wisdom in us from the inside out. So instead of us just saying, hey, listen to what Paul's, or wisdom's call from the outside, instead, hey, wisdom can be inside you, giving birth to new life from the inside out, so that you have a heart properly inclined towards wisdom. You go, Joe, how can I know that I have that? How can I know for sure that I have that wisdom on the inside? The story of the Bible is the story of God in wisdom creating the world, creating Adam and Eve and saying that they are very good. And yet Adam and Eve listening to Folly's call and eating the fruit of her table and saying, no, we will live our own way, we will do our own thing. The Bible says that all of us have done that. That is what all of us have done, eating from Folly's table, saying, God, you will not be king over. We will not answer wisdom's call. We will not live with fear of you. The Bible says that the punishment of that is death. Death physically, but also death spiritually. But instead of leaving us that way, God came and Jesus came and lived the life that we should live with proper regard and fear for the Lord. Died the death that you and I should die for rejecting God, 
and then was raised to new life so that all who repent of sin and trust in Christ can have Jesus and his wisdom on the inside, giving new new life, new birth, so that we can overcome folly's call and instead live in wisdom. So then imagine what that looks like in your house and in your family. People who say, you know what, I want to be wise, and I'm going to tune my ear to hear it. You think that would change a few things as you write budgets, as you raise kids, as you make decisions about jobs and health care, as you make decisions about where do we live and what do we spend our lives on, you think it would be a little different if we could, we from the inside out could begin to live with regard for the Lord right now in this moment and live with the, the rest of knowing, hey, this is the wise way. This is the way that he says leads to life, and to riches, and to righteousness, and to blessings. So then those things begin to take root in our homes as we've inclined our hearts to wisdom. Homes of justice, not homes of abuse. What does it look like for a, a, a church to be filled with people saying, what does it mean for us to be a church with regard for the Lord? We've got hard decisions to make about finances, about programming, about leadership, about outreach, about strategies, about discipleship. But what if the question for each of us is to say, what does it mean for me to regard the Lord in this moment right now? Then there would be justice and righteousness. Then there would be a life-giving church. And then imagine communities where instead of people who have only spent their lives hearing fall this call, they actually hear the call of wisdom for the first time. And because they've heard the gospel, they incline their hearts to it, and they love it, and they live it out, and they say, this is what we want. This is the good way. This is the way of life. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you that you call to us from your word so that we can know what wisdom sounds like. And then from the inside out, we